Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hello and welcome to Radio Days, the podcast. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, maybe you need photography headshots, what about drone video from a licensed photographer? Head over to ronrobertsonstudios.com. You can also hear previous episodes of Radio Days, the podcast, there as well. Also, check out my new online swag store. Get your Radio Days, the podcast, hats and shirts and other swag. Again, all that can be found at ronrobertsonstudios.com. Well, before we welcome our special guest today, a quick reminder, documentary about the history of terrestrial radio. Radio Days, 101 Years of Radio is coming later this year. If you'd like to help out, become a producer for this movie, click on the Patreon or PayPal link. And uh, you can also find uh, a place to do that at RonRobinsonStudios.com. Another very special show today. My guest today has worked on the air and behind the scenes at WCAR back in the day. He's also worked at WAAM, WBRB, WKHM, and he's also worked for BRC Broadcasting. And for many years, this guy's... uh, this guy's resume is long. He was the chief engineer at Specs Howard School of Broadcast and Media Arts, which is where I got to know him. And he currently works at WHFR 89.3 here in Detroit. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Bob Burnham. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for the uh, long introduction. Well, it, it, it's hard to believe you've, you've done that and, and more. So you've had a long and illustrious career in, in, in radio, no? All that in a bag of chips. <laughs> and we have many things to cover along the way about your career in radio, Bob. But my first question, as always, is what were you listening to growing up? Who were some of the voices and shows that you listened to when you were a kid? I was listening to, now, uh, as far as when I was a kid, I, I assume you mean like... Uh, well, your formative years, yeah, yeah. Teenage years, I was listening uh, to all AM stations, uh back then uh, because there was a lot going on on am in those days i was listening to in in the morning we of course had dick purton um i was listening to the original wcar which was a full service station uh at that time on eleven thirty, and they had a whole lineup of really good djs uh including people like warren pierce um who was on in the evening and uh, Dan O'Shea did afternoon drive time, David L. Prince. These are all guys who go way back. Uh, but I kind of uh, got tuned into AM sort of at the tail end of when AM was still a viable medium. Well, what year, um, what year that, was it that FM uh, really became prominent? It was like in the 70s, you know? That was in the 70s. And uh, the, the famous... Um, CKLW was the number one station for many years on AM and uh, FM was one of the things that took listeners away from CKLW. And that was WDRQ here in the Detroit area. And uh, that was probably mid seventies when that started going down. What was your first job in radio? My first paying job in radio. Are we talking? Yeah. The (laughs) pay. My my first paying job in radio, well, you know, you could count college radio into that. I worked at um, 
WEMU, they actually paid students at EMU because they had a 16,000 watt FM station, still do at Eastern. And uh, they paid like $2.90 an hour back then, uh, which I thought, well, that's, that's pretty good. I can go in and do a show and, and have fun and, uh, and, and play jazz. And, uh, and they put me on Monday through Friday afternoons uh, on WEMU. Uh, but that was, uh, that only lasted about a year because I got bored with that. And from well, I, there, how did my, you get bored with that? I mean, just, was it just uh, so, so, you know, contrived that it was so, I mean, what was, what happened there? Well, uh, a lot of things going on. Uh, for one thing, they had a rule. You had to be a student and I wasn't very interested in being a student. I just <laughs> wanted to do radio. Uh, so, you know, I would, I would cut all my classes and uh, uh, go sit in the library and read about how to build transmitters. And this is a fact. And so when I wasn't on the air at WEMU, I was in their library uh, rather than being in the class where I was supposed to be. And that's where I started learning about uh, broadcast engineering. And then from there, um, the yeah, I, I want to ask you, I'm going to cut you off there. Cause I want to ask you, cause that's something that's very different than, you know, most of my guests is, you know, most of my guests, you know, they wanted to be personalities. They wanted to entertain. You were very fascinated with how radio worked. Yes. Yes, that is true. And, uh, what happened out of high school was I built a radio station in my parents' basement. And that was kind of a, it was a, a little community radio station, you know, low power um, AM at that time. And that was the kind of the center of my uh, social life uh, when I was in high school is uh, this uh, pirate radio station. I always tell people don't do what I did. Just just learn from what I did. <laughs> right. Now, what year are we talking here, Bob? We're talking about uh, mid seventies. Mid seventies. Now, at that, now you you expressed interest in the the philosophy of what made radio work. I'm fascinated with that as well. But did you know that you wanted to be on the air, or you quickly realized that I, I want to be the engineer here? Didn't you? Well, I think originally I just wanted to be on the air. I mean, and I was going to be on the air no matter what it took. If I, if I had to build a transmitter, if I had to, uh, you know, go work for free. And I did go work for free at Southfield High School's FM station for several years, um, WSHJ, where I was. And that's how I got my first job in commercial radio, which was WBRB over on uh on Gratiot on the east side yeah talk about that uh, experience if you would uh at the time i worked there it was owned by gilda radner and uh, the general manager was her uncle uh lee feldstein and uh um mr Fe mr feldstein said to me well what are you doing helping bob snedden over at wshj come and work for me and he put me on middays monday through friday uh 10 to 2, um, 14.30 a.m., and I was the youngest um, on-air, full-time air person at the time, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun, but it got to be kind of a drag as well because I didn't quite uh, agree with everything management wanted to do, right. and, uh, and, and then they hired a new program director, 
and the program director wanted my airship. So of course he got it and uh, I got busted down to weekends. So that basically spelled the end of my time at WBRB. <laughs> you know, it, it's not uh, as well known as your WABXs or WRAFs, but back in the day, WCAR, as you mentioned, was a huge station here in Detroit. Um, how did you come to work for WCAR? That That's an interesting story as well. Uh, First, it's kind of connected to uh, WAAM, where I worked for a few years, uh, and uh, they let me go. They were changing formats and different management people coming in and whatnot, and um, I had been talking to CKLW, uh, believe it or not, because I knew that uh, Pat St. John had gotten uh, into uh, CKLW as a teenager, and Keener 13 and all those stations. And I thought, well, you know, I was in my uh, early 20s, I think, at the time. So I thought, well, I have as much experience as Pat. I mean, I actually had commercial radio experience. So maybe I can work at CKLW, but that didn't work out. They never had a slot for me. And they talked to me a couple of times and they were very friendly and all of that. So I have nothing but, uh, nothing but love for uh, the, the guys at CK, the big eight as we uh, knew it back then. And they were evolving to an easier listening music format to try to maintain listeners. And I was very familiar with that format, but that wasn't, uh, that wasn't meant to be. So what I decided to do is said, well, you know, I can fix things and uh, I have helped to build studios. So why don't I study up for my first class license? The, back then you had to have uh, an FCC license to work in radio. So even so if it was I just did. on the air, even if it was just on the air, you had a license. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's correct. You, you had to take uh, transmitter readings every few hours and, uh, you know, manually change the power for the, some of the AM stations. And uh, I thought, well, let me get my first class license and let me see if I can get some work in engineering. So what I did was I enrolled in Cleveland Institute of Electronics correspondence course and went through that whole program. It took about a year and I was ready to take my, uh, they eliminated the first class license and called it a general class license. I was ready to take my test and the FCC eliminated it. So here I was with all this training and some experience and I couldn't be licensed because it was now obsolete. So I thought, well, you know, what do we do now? So I have this uh, old time radio business that I started in high school, um, radio dramas, suspense, Jack Benny, all that stuff. I marketed these things and that's how I made money between my radio jobs to this day. So um, what I did was, I thought, well, why don't I host a show? I get this call from a man by the name of Bill Bragg uh, out of Dallas. And he says, well, I'm starting a new 24 hour satellite fed uh, network and i'd like you to help me produce some programming so i thought well great i can host a show for bill and and so i did i did a show called big band classics and then later on i did a show called radio vault which is where i played all these old uh, jack benny's and suspense and escape and whatnot and that's kind of how i got started uh, lo and behold, I don't know if you remember the uh, Woody Allen movie called Radio Days. Yes. Uh, 
but but with an S rather than a Z. I, I had to be it. a little different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Well, there was a local guy who was a writer for the Detroit Free Press, and he said, you know, I'd like to find a, a local guy to do a tie-in article for uh, the Free Press. And he called up some guy in Canada who I also knew and said, you know, do you know anybody in Detroit who could talk about uh, radio? And well, this guy, he's got this business. Uh, he sells these shows and he sent me a few and you might want to give him a call. So they got a hold of me, did a whole article with photos and whatnot, ran it in the free press. Now, this is leading up to the WCAR thing, believe it or not. Um, so this ran in the free press. Then it was syndicated by Knight Ritter all over the country. I started getting uh, hundreds of inquiries for catalogs and information and whatnot. And in the, uh, in the midst of all this, I get three uh, requests for interviews from radio stations. Cool. Um, one of them was from one of your previous guests, Peter Werby. Uh, another one was from a guy in Flint. And the third one was from Tom Urich Jr., who is hosted a show on WCAR called Collector's Corner. And Tom said, well, I'd like to get to come over to the station and, uh, you know, be on my show and, you know, we can talk collectibles. And he was interested in all types of collectibles. So I did. And in the process, uh, Tom introduced me to the general manager at WCAR. Now, this is not the original CAR. This is the one that used to be WTAK, okay. which was the, the first talk station in Detroit, uh, 1090. And uh, Tom did this, this grandiose, you know, oh, this guy knows everything. He, he's worked on radio stations. He might be able to help you. And, uh, and, the general manager, Jack Bailey said, well, I'll, I'll keep his number on file. And, uh, it turns out he did. And when an opening for the chief engineer came up, he called me up and said, well, you know, you don't have as many, uh, requirements, as many, uh, qualifications as I would like, but I'd like to come and have you, uh, uh, talk about, you know, working for us. So we did. And in the midst of that, I also put my show that had been on the satellite network on his station and I actually bought time. It was a brokered format. Uh, and that's, that's how we started radio vault on uh, WCAR. And, you know, it's like anything, you get your foot in the door and before you know it, uh, you're working for him. And that's how I started at WCAR, which lit, led to everything I'm doing now. I've heard you call your time at CAR your career highlight. What did you enjoy most about your time there? Um, everything. The fact that I could do everything. Um, they let me host a program three times a week on that station. And when they had a format change, they went to Radio Oz. I was the guy who hosted the last live program from that studio. Um, but cool. like I said, I got to do everything, you know, uh, drive the remote van, do the uh, remote setups, um, repair equipment, um, do studio renovations, uh, run the board for some of the brokered hosts. I didn't have to do that too often because we had board operators who did most of that. But 
once in a while. And for a while, I did the morning show um, when we had a morning show that we lost. Hey, can you fill in? Sure. I did a, That's a whole cool. yeah. month. Yeah, totally, totally cool. Hosting the morning show uh, live. Now, what would you do? What, yeah, what were you What were you doing when you would do that on the air? I I, I played. Uh, I play. Well, it was during the Christmas season, so I played Christmas music and kind of a full service thing. You know, we had uh, traffic and weather, kind of a, a WJR on the cheap side, but with right. music. Yeah, right. Well, JR we played had, music. JR played music, but you probably were doing more of it. Yes. Yes. So. So that's what I liked about CAR is that I could do everything and it was never boring. And uh, like Specs Howard, there was a great group of people that we had working there. Now, another place you worked, it was WAAM in Ypsilanti. Talk to me about your time there. I was hired uh, in 1979 um, to do weekends uh, by Jack Hood, um, who has worked all over Michigan including at uh, WJR and, uh, and uh, we had a, uh, a Christmas production that a uh, big, you know, multi-hour thing. It was on real to real tape and Jack asked me to put this together and I did. And he liked it so much said, well, how'd you like to be my production director? And we'll put you on the air full time, six to 10 Monday through Friday. And I said, great, wonderful. So I did that and had the time of my life um wrote all the commercials produced and assigned all the commercials and you know i did the on-air shift which was probably my favorite part of uh waam uh, plus i got to uh do some technical stuff as well so that was a little bit of what i did i worked with uh fat bob taylor the late fat bob bob taylor yes and legend, he had legend. A, legend he was at wjr as well uh he uh, uh he did a remote from kroger every friday and i was the guy who set up that remote uh, it was over a, a remote pickup transmitter which we call rpus and i set up the antenna and tore it down every friday that was one of the things i also did at waam and we became good friends out of that now, as you mentioned, your job as an engineer led to a lot of cool opportunities, many more opportunities than you probably would have had just had you been an on-air person. I know you worked uh, auto show at Cobo, Cobo rather, but talk to me about some of the cool things that have spawned off from your career as an engineer in radio. Well, I got to do a little bit of everything. My work at CAR uh, uh, led to a bunch of other work. Um, our local consultant uh, by the name of Bill Mullen um, had me working at all of his stations, which included uh, there, there was a, a hard rock station uh, called the bear. And I did some work at yeah, the bear. Wasn't that Ted Nugent's station? Yes. And there's a story related to that. Um, Ted Nugent did the morning show at that time. And uh, uh, at one point they decided, well, Ted's all done. Bill said, well, you have to come out with me to Ted's spread in Jackson and uh, and reclaim all the equipment that belongs to the station. So I did that and uh, met Ted and his wife and it was in a barn and I stuck my head in this barn 
and Marshall amplifiers stacked from from floor wow. to ceiling, <laughs> and and stacks of guitar cases, uh, you know, probably ten or twenty feet high, and then in the uh, in another room was the radio studio, and you know, our chore was to uh, not to totally dismantle it, but to just take what the station owned out of that studio. So I did that with Bill and uh ted was just a regular guy you know he wasn't uh he wasn't political at all uh he was just you know he, he said a lot of people are sad that my show is ending but uh you know it is what it is and so so there was that um uh, and other stations i worked for at bill one of them was uh the longest time was at uh, martha jean the queen station wqbh and I worked with, uh, Martha was there once in a while. I met her and, uh, Jay Butler, uh, Ray Henderson, who used the name Ray Moan over the air. I remember. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was, a kind of a, a news talk blues station. Pretty interesting. And I worked there, uh, every, every week I would go to, uh, QBH and I was the designated chief engineer, which means you have to review everything uh, on an ongoing basis. And I would do that and sign the log every week after I got done working at Specs during those years. And that was a lot of fun working at QBH. Yeah. Tell me more about that job. I mean, uh, how long did you work there and, and how did your duties, uh, you know, evolve? Well, uh, I started there in 1990, um, when we actually built the studios. And again, this is for Bill Mullen, who it was his design. And there was uh, two production studios, uh, a main studio and a news studio. So a lot of work. Uh, but there was about three of us who built this place. And and that slowly evolved. He had other guys working for him at that time, who uh, took up some of the load and then somewhere, oh, probably about early 2000s, uh, I started uh, working for Bill more regularly at QBH. And like I said, I just go in there uh, once a week. And if anything needed fixing, I would fix that. They had mini discs at the time. And those were high maintenance items. Oh, uh, they were always breaking. So uh, there was that. And then we later put an automation system in for them, which they used uh, until the station was sold. So um, a lot going on, a lot of studios. It was all real to real for most of the time uh, until the very end. Um, but uh, again, another station with good people. And there was times when, you know, I'd have a busy day at Specs and it's like, oh man, now I got to drive downtown and go to QBH. But I did it and it was always a good time. Uh, uh, Jay Butler was terrific to work with. And as you mentioned, and as I mentioned at the top, you were the chief engineer at Specs Howard for many years. How did you get that gig to, to start with? Well, uh, again, everything in my career is related to everything. And um, when WCAR went to automation, um, we didn't have our transmitters connected so that they would be monitored so it wasn't legal for us to go 24 7 without a body in there so we not only couldn't lay everybody off but we had to hire hire some extra people 
the one of the extra persons we hired was Dave, Dave Shank. Dave Shank was a student at Specs and later uh, an instructor at Specs. And uh, at some point, Dave said to me, "You know, you'd be perfect to work at Specs." And he got me a contract project over there, working for Tom Profit. Uh, we ran all these uh, red wires all over the school, so everyone could monitor the stations in all the different offices. So uh, the opening came up. I guess Profit had more work than he could do himself. And Dave said, well, you need to apply for work. So I did and uh, went and met Tom and Sue Aldridge, who was the uh, um, president or whatever you want to call it at Specs at that time. And John Liebman was also there at that time. Yeah. And I was hired within a week of meeting all those people. And that started an amazing adventure. You know, you mentioned, you, you mentioned Tom Prophet. I just felt every time I talked to him, I left the conversation smarter than when I entered the conversation. That guy was not only a wealth of knowledge, still is a wealth of knowledge, but he, I just found him, I, I learned something new every time I was around him. Same thing with you, but I mean, Tom was the first person I met that really, I was like, this guy is wicked smart. And, and not only wicked smart, but... Uh, he had a sense of humor that uh, was second to none. And, yeah, yeah. but the thing I really liked about Tom was he basically trusted me with everything. He said, you know, do it whatever way you want to do it. Uh, whatever equipment you recommend, that's what we'll buy. And uh, he trusted me and threw it all in my lap. And I was able to, in the process, learn a bunch of stuff, but also achieve an incredible amount of things at specs uh, with a very limited budget. A lot of times, you know, also on that same line, I remember as a student, when I came through specs in the year 2000, I remember there was Tom profit taught a class that you had to learn the basics. It was like the basics that you, I guess you would be tested on. Had you, you know, current in current day had to go and get a license about yes. how the radio, how radio works. I and think there was that a was class station operations. Yes, yeah, station like operations. That. But by the time I think 2003, three or four years later, um, when I became an instructor there, that was gone. Yes, yes. Well, you, you know, originally, uh, as we mentioned earlier, you had to have a license to be a DJ, and that was a third class FCC license, and you had to take a test. And uh, that class, was kind of a remnant from uh, that era. And you had to know a few technical things like, you know, how do you determine station operating power? Well, you know, it's, it's, there's two different ways, a direct way and a indirect way. And you had to memorize all those formulas in order to be licensed. And uh, uh, I filled in on that class for Tom two or three times. And uh, it almost always just turned into a conversation about, uh, you know, what you have to really know in radio to make it. Uh, so, it, you know, I'll tell they, you this one thing, when I was a student there, it, it made my head hurt. I went to, I went to specs <laughs> to be on the air. So when I took, I mean, I, it was good that I took it, but I remember having, a, you know, some, some challenges because there is, you know, there's a lot of nuts and bolts to it. You don't just turn well, the microphone on and magic happens. 
Exactly. I mean, when I was at, uh, well, both WAM and uh, BRB, uh, you had a program log and uh, a transmitter log, and you had to constantly write things in these logs manually, and uh, including for the commercials, you had to write the exact time you played the commercial, and if you missed a commercial, boy, you were in trouble. And the same for transmitter readings, you know, depending on who the chief engineer was. All right. If you missed a reading, uh, you know, especially at these directional stations with multi-towers, you were in trouble. Yeah. Um, but all, all that went away. Well, it came into play. I'm glad I learned it because my my first job, WKLA, you know, my first job was at JR as an intern, a paid intern. But my full first full-time was WKLA in Lunnington. And we had to we had to write those in the book, and yes, I had to know that stuff. I didn't. The second job moving forward, it was it became obsolete. But that first job, I had to know that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And don't forget to sign uh, uh-huh. sign out of the log, or or they would put the log in your mailbox and said you forgot to sign out. Sign out. <laughs> um, um, we mentioned going from analog to digital. Your your job evolved at Specs Howard over the years, um, and I I know from the time I worked there that things would break down all the time. So you I know you worked your ass off a lot of the times. Talk about some of the things you were responsible for at Specs. Talk about how it went from analog problems to digital plot to digital problems, which obviously much more complex. Well, yeah. When when I first started there, they had all reel to reel and cassette and cart machines everywhere. Um, and rotary pot boards and, and those rotary pot boards were getting a little long in the tooth by the time that I got there. So, you know, the switches would fail and, uh, you know, the, the cassettes would jam or the cart machines wouldn't stop when they were supposed to stop or, or there, you know, there are many problems with the reel to reel machines. So I was kind of the guy who dragged that equipment in and out of the studios and fixed them. And that was maybe my first year or so of uh, working there. And then Tom said, well, we gotta, we gotta put new consoles everywhere. And, um, and, and, you know, we started with the, uh, the student stations and then worked from there. But uh, I remember they had a budget to do four studios at a time. Um, because those those audio consoles were expensive, even in the with the quantity discount. So, uh, and then you know we had to keep in mind we were phasing out reel to reel. So now what do we do for editing? So I was using Cool Edit Pro at the time, uh, and I thought, well, let's let's go buy Cool Edit Pro. Uh, so we did, but by the time that uh, we were ready to make the purchase, it became Adobe Audition. Right. So uh, I was the guy who slowly, four studios at a time, pulled out the rotary boards. And this was a a phase that lasted years uh, before we got it all done. And and then they decided, well, we need some extra studios. So can you turn these uh, these six video suites into audio studios? It's like, well, they're kind of small, but. so I'd gotten on the phone with a guy who was working on our furniture and he custom designed furniture for those extra studios. And um, again, a long, long process. 
And along the way, I had some uh, student interns help with some of the stuff. But, uh, you know, it it makes my brain hurt when I think uh, (laughs) of all the stuff I went through. And uh, in the process, I also wrote some articles for uh, Radio World and Radio Guide. uh, And they actually paid me for those articles about uh, doing what I was doing at Specs Howard. So, you know, everyone uh, won in that situation. The school got some publicity and I made a little extra money writing some articles. Plus I got the hands-on experience in engineering. I mean, there's no one in the state, I don't think, that has built 25 studios under one roof. Getting back to Specs Howard, some big names have passed through the halls of Specs, Bob. Do you have any notable or favorite students or instructors that you've worked with over the years? Uh, well, uh, th- of course, the instructors that go back pretty far. Uh, I got to work with, uh, you know, a few different eras of instructors. Uh, Jim Bell, Donald Walker, um, of course, Tom Prophet, Bob Balmentier, uh, and then the ones who came a little bit later, like yourself, um, Mark Pazman, um, Keela Carson. These are all people you've had on your show. So uh, I love Keela, but how I was just I always thought it was cool that every time I went to work, I, I passed by uh, Pazman's office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then of course, uh, uh, Heather Kozlikowski. Yeah. Um, uh, the the other one who moved out to uh, California. Yeah, she's out uh, there trying to make a go of it. Pretty cool. Y- yeah. So so you know these are all really cool people, but uh, you know at the top of the list has to be Specs himself. Um, yeah. You know, and and and, would, and Dick would, Kernan too as well. So, yeah. uh, well, oh, absolutely, both Specs and Dick Kernan. But I would be working on a on one of those studios near the front lobby, and Specs would come by. And he would just talk to me. He would just, well, how's everything going? And uh, it was like, he made me feel like I was more important to the school than him. Right. Um, when I was doing that work. And he had, and a, way of I doing remember, that. He had a way of doing that. No question. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a conversation about, believe it or not, electronic tubes. And uh, I'm familiar with electronic tubes, obviously, from working on transmitters and whatnot. And he said, well, how about a 5U4? That's a rectifier, isn't it? <laughs> and and, and I said, well, absolutely, that, that is a rectifier. And come to find out, Specs at one time repaired television sets in his career. I didn't know that. And I found that out. And then the story with Dick Kernan is I was uh, coming out of the Specs building, and uh, I see Dick coming out, and Dick comes up to me, and he's shaking my hand. And he says, congratulations, you did it. And I'm completely confused. Uh, you know, well, well, what did I do? I did my job. And, and he said, well, you got us uh, streaming on the air. And that was after I had launched specsradio.com, which okay. was the first, along with Empire Empower Radio, uh, the first streaming station out of Specs uh, that had music. It was music intensive. And I had worked with Sue Kinney, who was another really good instructor, Lamazni. Um, and she and I had put together specsradio.com uh, in one of the practice studios. And, and they, uh, they continued uh, with that station almost to the end, uh, you know, 24 hours of, 
of uh, automated music using the uh, ENCO system and uh, a little piece of equipment that makes uh, streaming radio sound like FM radio. Actually, sounds a little better than FM radio. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but Dick congratulated me about that, and I thought, well, that's really cool that uh, he thought that that was uh, so special. And you know, I was actually ready to do that for them for a while, but it took uh, basically talking with the right people at the school and kind of getting Sue behind the whole project to launch that. But but we did, and they gave me the budget to buy the equipment I wanted to buy. And like I said, it, it continued almost right through the end uh, to their new building, as a matter of fact. When, when did you leave Specs? When, when, when was your last, when, when did you leave? I left Specs in 2013. Uh, things were kind of going down. Um, they basically wanted to lay me off, uh, but Tom Profit saved my job. And uh, I could never thank him enough for that. Uh, they, they cut my pay in half, of course, but uh, I continued on in a, in a reduced capacity for about a year. And that was 2013 that that happened. And recently, as you know, Specs Howard School made an announce, announcement that they'll be merging into another college curriculum. I don't think uh, that's been who's who that is. I don't think that's been announced yet. It hasn't been officially announced yet. No, but uh, it will no longer be a school on its own. Sad news, but you know, I've been talking with others who who have called Specs Howard home, either as an instructor or a student. And the school may close its doors, Bob, but I'm I'm of the theory that it cannot. And I repeat, cannot take away from what the school has meant for me and countless other broadcasters. Uh, what is your favorite memory uh, of Specs Howard working there as 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 you did? Well, uh, during the course of me working there, I became uh, really experienced with Adobe Audition, and I would help students quite a lot in uh, doing their final project or their demo that they were going to send to radio stations. And my favorite part was when uh, I would help them with a demo, they would send it off and they would call me uh, or email me or whatever a, a few days later. Hey, I got that job. Thanks. And that's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was my, uh, my favorite part of working at Specs is uh, helping the students be, be better than what they thought they could be. You know, and and I I thank you for the education I got uh, on Cool Edit and then Adobe Audition because even before I started my video production company, I I became very fluent in editing an Adobe Audition. And you know, when I switched over to video and went to Adobe Premiere, it, it was still it was a whole whole new set of skills, but it gave me the foundation to understand the system and. Had it not been for that education, I don't know if I would have been doing much of video production, but right now it's one of my favorite things to do. Well, I work with Adobe Audition almost every day. I use it mostly for processing those old shows um, because they come to me in all different forms, really cruddy audio. And yeah. uh, I, I use all the tools in Adobe to make shows sound cleaner than, uh, you know, the, the way they sounded 50 years ago, a generation or more ago. Uh, and, and that's where I get some of my experience and also producing some of the syndicated shows that I've done over the years. 
Well, I will tell you this. There are some cuts that are some audio cuts that I might have to send to you of, of my movie that uh, from some of the early interviews I did. I want to see if we can't fix some of the background noise. I might be shooting some business your way on this movie. So as you sure. know, this is a very exciting project I've been uh, working yes. on. And uh, I want to thank you again for, for being a guest today. But before we move on, um, from, from uh, after Specs, you, you, did, you did a couple of things. But I want to talk more about... Um, you work. What you're doing currently is you uh, work as a program host, a producer, and a technical advisor for WHFR 89.3. Tell me about this gig. Well, I I do a little bit of everything for everybody, is what I do, and I'm hosting a show there that um, uh, basically is the same show that I did at WCAR and uh, yesterday USA the. Uh, the uh, Dallas uh, satellite outlet. Uh, it's uh, it's Radio Vault, and uh, ag again, a little basically inter introducing the show, t tell when it aired, a little bit about uh, the actors who appeared on the show, and that's pretty much it for uh, for that. And then I fill in when uh, someone uh, gets sick or whatever. But uh, when they have technical problems, I help them out on that too. So. Uh, that's really not uh, all of what I do. That only occupies about a day or two of my <laughs> time per week. Uh, I ship orders like every couple days of people wanting copies of these radio shows. Uh, that's turning into a big business. Again, I started it back in high school. So I have quite a catalog of that. So I do that and I do some local stations as well. In addition to, uh, uh, w, uh Henry Ford radio, WHFR. Well, it's like, but that's a big, go ahead. That's a big part of my life. I, you, I was just going to say, you've almost come full circle. You started as someone who wanted to be on the air. Then you, you became an engineer and now you're doing a little bit of both, but what are you, are, are you enjoying the on-air stuff most at HFR right now? Well, yeah, I've, I've been doing it there for a couple years now. And, you know, when you first started a new station, you feel a little bit awkward, uh, you know, getting acclimated. But at this point, I've settled in. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to make that a bigger part of my life in the, uh, in the years ahead. But I'm also working on a website, which is kind of related to the old radio shows. And, Hopefully we can launch some kind of a streaming service from there as well. But uh, I'm I'm a I'm a very busy person. <laughs> tell tell me more about the website. When you hopefully get it up and running, what can people expect from it? Well, uh, the main thing is I do these uh, mailings, snail mail, once a month uh, by U.S. mail, and you know postage costs a lot, as you know. And I do all the layouts and everything, but I want to turn that into a website and allow people to order stuff from me online uh, without having to write checks or, you know, send credit card numbers through the mail. That's a big pain in the neck in this day and age. So I'm evolving to that, but I also want to spin it off and do some programming on there uh, as well. Um, you know, kind of along the lines of, specs radio i don't know if it'll be music intensive or not but i had a lot of fun developing specs radio um, because i did all the original programming on the enco system uh, including the voice drops and 
you know, segueing all the all the music and spots and all of that. And I want to do more of that. To that point, talk to me about, in your opinion, from your purview, Bob, as a medium, um, talk to me about how radio has evolved or devolved since you began your career. Well, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, the AM, uh, AM has become kind of less relevant and FM is kind of sadly followed suit. But uh, we have all this online stuff going, as you know, and that's probably going to be the future of, uh, of broadcasting as we know it, uh, because particularly for AM, it costs a lot of money to maintain these stations, you know, especially the ones with multi towers and a lot that can go wrong. And, you know, the weather tends to degrade the outdoor equipment. And I think that's going to eventually go away uh, and we're going to all be online eventually. Uh, that's where I think it's going. But uh, FM will probably be around a lot longer, I think, in some form or another. But they'll also have some streaming service that uh, people who can't be bothered with FM will do that. But, you know, a radio, you could hold it in your hand. It doesn't need to be connected to anything. It doesn't need a Wi-Fi account. And it'll play. It'll play music off of that FM or AM station. So. I think that's going to be the saving grace for uh, terrestrial radio. As a kind of a follow-up to that, what would you like to see change in today's radio climate? How would you make a more popular medium out of radio? I, I know it's well, not going to be as popular as it once was, but what would you do? Well, it has to be personal. It has to be, uh, it has to be local. The problem of course, is that uh, to do that costs money. It, it takes a, uh, it takes money to, to make money, of course, but uh, yeah, local personalities. And I don't mean, you know, just, uh, you know, one person is the host for 20 cities. I don't, I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that's not good for the future of radio, but that's what they're doing to save money. So they have to find a way to get around that. Uh, perhaps uh, some of the larger corporations who own these radio stations have to sell off to some smaller operators in order to uh, get some of that localism. But uh, local and content is where it's at as far as broadcasting is concerned. Now, over anyone's career, everybody has an answer for this. Um, as far as the most impressive things or cool things that they've got to do in their career. I remember a couple of years ago, I was tickled to see you at uh, the last radio DJ reunion in, uh, I think it was 18, 2018. Uh, yes. But to see all those big names in a room, um, you know, it, it, talk to me about, it, if that wasn't it, can you talk about maybe a cool thing that stands above all other else, uh, above all else, uh, as far as things you've got to do because of your career in broadcasting? Well, I don't know if it stands above all else, but I got to work for WJR for one day. Um, <laughs> th this was back uh, way back when JR was still uh, um, running uh, carts and reel to reels themselves. And uh, fat Bob Taylor, who I mentioned earlier said, Hey, I'd like you to come out and, uh, and produce my show for me for and and leave your resume behind and maybe they can give you some work. So uh, I did that. I worked for JR 
um, one Saturday morning, I think it was. And, uh, you know, I, I saw everything that they had at that time and saw what big time radio was like at that time. And I was probably in my early to mid twenties at that point. And I remember, uh, Bob Taylor, he gave me 20 bucks. He said, well, this is for parking and they will pay you in addition to that. And, uh, they did. And I forget how I submitted my hours, but, uh, uh, that was definitely a highlight. And then of course, being interviewed by one of your other guests, Peter Werby, uh, on WRIF, uh, talking about kind of some of what we're talking about, but mostly the old radio shows, um, that, that interview didn't really go anywhere. It didn't do what the CAR interview, uh, yeah. did for my career, but it was fun. Nonetheless, I, I just, uh, I think Peter Werby's awesome. That's yep. cool. That's cool. Yep. Yep. What's next yep. for Bob Burnham? Well, uh, probably more of the same. Um, Hopefully I can, uh, I can do more at uh, WHFR. Uh, that's uh, a high priority item in my life at this, at this point and uh, uh, more old radio shows um, and perhaps more syndication. Uh, I would, I would love to open up a, an office somewhere. I did have a recording studio for a couple years in Westland uh, where we originated syndicated shows, but I'd like to do, some form of that uh, because now as you can see it's a lot cheaper yeah. to do uh, this type of programming than what it used to be so love to do more of that more of radio uh, and uh, you know more playing music and more doing what I do Bob I can't thank you enough for joining me today all, all the best to you my friend no problem anytime Thanks again to Bob, and thank you for tuning in to Radio Days, the podcast. And, of course, keep an eye out for Radio Days, the movie, coming later this year. Again, if you'd like to help out, become a producer for this movie, click on uh, the PayPal or Patreon link. Every little bit helps, so thank you in advance. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, professional photography, headshots, maybe you need drone video or photography, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. You can also hear previous episodes of Radio Days, the podcast there as well. Also, at ronrobinsonstudios.com, you can check out our new swag store. Get hats, shirts, other gear and apparel. Get your Radio Days podcast hats and shirts at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Tune in next week. We'll have another episode of Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. You can't go! All the plants are going to die.